Thank you, Matt. Great, great time worshiping the Lord together. So um, as you settle in and get your Bibles ready um, to go, let me just start with this. There's a fictitious novel that was written um, titled The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And in that novel, a phantom is trying to start a world war with weapons that are highly advanced and superior to the weapons normal to that day. And as a countermeasure, a team of extraordinary figures with legendary powers are summoned to try to outsmart, outmaneuver, and outdefeat this tyrannical foe. They were assembled for a high-level but unofficial mission. They were chosen because they were experienced, wise, courageous, passionate, and they were fearless risk-takers. They were the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Okay, now unless you're nervous about this, I'm not gonna speak about them today. Um, I'm not gonna be talking about Alan Quartermain or Captain Nemo or Dorian Gray or Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. We're gonna be talking about and talking to all of those in the room or wherever you are visiting with us online today who, true, who are true believers, who call the Lord their Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're gonna be calling out the church of Jesus Christ today. Extraordinary times require the services of extraordinary people. <laughs> Can I say it? You, my friends, if you're in Christ, are the league of extraordinary believers needed particularly in times like we're living in today. And so the question we're gonna be asking is, are you ready to step up and assume your true identity and take your place in this world? Would you agree with me that the world is in peril? In great times of peril, the church must fully understand their identity and be willing to step into our unique roles if we are to bring salvation and restoration to all that is lost and all that is broken in this world. That's our job, that's why we're here. We're in so much trouble. And it seems like we're in trouble on every front. And I, I don't know what you think when I say things like that. I don't know if you go like roll your eyes and say, here he goes again. But let me, just, let me just say this to those of you who are rolling your eyes and saying, here he goes again. When this stops going again, I'll stop going there again. Do you agree that, do you, let me ask you this, do you remember a time, are you old enough to remember a time when you got shocked by world news or got shocked by local news like, once every few months, you would be like, what? There's no way that's happening. My friends, it's happening like almost daily. If you're keeping up with things globally, it's almost daily, you're like, what? There's no way that can happen today. There's no way that's happening. Yes, it is happening. We're in real trouble on every front, but can I just say this, that when the main conversation 
with potential 2024 presidential candidates is all about gender identity, and the question being pitched to him are, are you confident that you know that gender is as binary as you were describing it? And follows it up with, are you a scientist? And then begins to try to school the candidate when the candidate comes back and says, yes, I am saying that. There is only a male and a female. Yes, I do mean that. That is truth. That is real truth and real people understand real truth. And science backs that up. Only to be returned fire with, you do understand that there are lots of scientific evidence out there that says that gender is a spectrum. The cuckoo birds have come to roost. And, <laughs> and let me tell you something, they are, they are masquerading as news broadcasters. We, we, you're laughing about it because I said cuckoo birds. It is not funny. We're heading down some weird, strange road of make-believe. We're going down the rabbit hole in Cinderella's story here. I mean, we're, what, is actual, what is going on? What are we talking about? You'll love this. Did you know that there is a following where people are identifying, identifying as furries? Here, here's a quote, okay, where they take on for themselves an anthropomorphized animal character, which is called their fursona, with whom they identify and can function as an avatar within the community. In other words, they can't function outside of this avatar that they've created. And that's according to Fur Science, which is a website run by a multidisciplinary team of scientists studying furry fandom. I'm just quoting to you. I just read an article this week about people beginning to identify as handicapped and they're choosing to identify as handicapped and they're getting in wheelchairs and rolling themselves around in wheelchairs. And I just heard a report, I have not confirmed the report, but I just heard a report about this that there are actually people going to their doctors and asking for amputations because they identify as handicapped. This is very, very sad. Because this is real to these people. And in a world that is so broken and lost that we can't figure out who we truly are and have totally lost our identity minds as human beings, it's vitally important, and this is, I'm done with this stuff, I'm talking now to us as, as Christians, it's vitally important that we fully understand who we are and are fully aware of our true identity in Jesus Christ in the middle of a world that has lost its mind. And what I'm gonna share with you today is not new to any of you. You're gonna be like, duh, I've already heard this before. Yes, you have, and it's good to repeat things. It's good to know it again and again and again and again. And before we can launch into our new series that we're gonna be talking about, about how we are supposed to step up into our role as the church in a world that is lost like it is today, you need to make sure, I need to remind you, like I did last week, of who you are in Jesus Christ and all that you have been given in Jesus Christ, so that there will be strength to your feeble 
arms and your weak knees as we march into the future of all that is coming. Today's sermon is, no one sits this out. I want you to sit in that thought for a second. No one sits this out. Every true believer, if you claim Jesus Christ as your savior, and you know you're in Christ, you have a role to play. No matter where you are on the life spectrum, no matter where you are in experience, you have a role to play. No matter where you are in your walk with God, you have a specific role to play in the world in which we live. No one sits this out. I can't overemphasize that point today. Every single one of you who claims Christ as your savior, you don't get to coast. No one gets to coast. God has a plan for you, and he has a role for you to play. You're either gonna step up and stand up and move forward into the battle, or you're gonna be dragged into the battle. (laughs) One way or the other, if you are a true believer, you are in the battle, and you have a specific role and a specific task to play in that battle. What is yours? I wonder if you know. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, do you know, because many of you may not really know. You'd be like, I don't know, this is maybe the first time I've ever thought about that. If you do know, the question I wanna ask you is are you walking it out? Do you know who you are, friends? Do you know why you're living in the time in which we find ourselves in this world? That's what we're gonna be musing on today, so let's go for it, all right? Four biblical realities about your identity in Christ. You can take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter five. Let me just talk about this for a second before we jump into this first reality. These are biblical realities. Everything we teach and everything we believe about life and godliness is found in God's word, in the truth of God's word. This is the only truth that we can use to guide us. I'm gonna say it again. This is the only truth that we can use to guide us. And why would you say that, Phil? Because this is the only truth that there is to guide us, that's why. And because you can't trust anyone else. In fact, you can't even trust me in the world that we live in today unless I'm speaking to you from God's truth. And so these aren't principles, these aren't opinions that I have about our identity in Christ. I'm going to take you through the biblical, the biblical guidelines, what am I trying to say? The biblical realities, there's the word, the biblical realities about our identity in Christ. So let's start with this one, reality number one, you are a new creation. And this is so, such a great place to launch out on because you used to be, you do know this, right? This isn't, a, this isn't a surprise to you that you used to be dead. The Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. That you and I, before we came to Christ, we were lost and alienated. The Bible call, says that we were blind and we were deaf and dumb to the things of God. We couldn't even come to God on our own without the Holy Spirit guiding us and drawing us and calling us into a relationship with the Lord. But when you came to Christ, look at 2 Corinthians five seventeen. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation, the old has gone, and the new has come. Praise the Lord for that. This is what happens when we come into Christ. You are no longer the old person you were, you are now a new creation in Christ. 
According to the scriptures, Christians are victims of sin who are now victors in Jesus Christ. We are the despised who have received honor. We are souls who die once but live twice. The Bible teaches us that we are mortals who have taken on immortality. We are the corrupt who become incorruptible. We are the sorrowful who have been given eternal joy. The Bible says that those of us um, that before Christ, we were depraved and depraved minds, but now we have the mind of Christ. We were those who once had Satan as our father and are now fully adopted children of the king, heirs of the kingdom of God and with Christ. And how do you get to this glorious place? How did you get to this place that you are today in Christ? Look at Romans 10, 9 to 13. I have it on the screen for you. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, your Bible might say, if you confess with your mouth, what that means is you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone... Anyone, I want to say it again, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced or turned away. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know the Lord and you're sitting in this room or you're visiting with us online, wherever you are and joining us online, if you know that you are not in Christ, all you have to do, according to this passage, is call out his name and confess your sin, humble your heart, confess your sin, and take his gift of grace as yours to be your savior. Amen. You can do it today. What are you waiting for? You could be a new creation, a brand new identity given to you. Once you were dead and once you were lost and once you were blind, but now you can see. Remember the blind man? He didn't even know what happened to him. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. That's what happens when you come to Christ. Come to him today, my friends. If you want in, just call out his name. You are a new creation. But now that you're in Christ, reality number two is you are not your own. Now we start to get a little deeper here. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know? that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Now, these are people who have come to Christ, okay? Do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? So the Holy Spirit lives inside of us when we're in Christ. But here's the reality. You are now not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies, your body doesn't belong to you anymore. Do you believe that? <laughs> yeah, well, that's so easy to say amen to that. I don't mean doctrinally believe it. I don't mean like in your head you know it. Because if you're a Christian, you of course believe that you are not your own. Why would I say that? Because the Bible says you are not your own. I'm not talking about do you doctrinally believe it. I I'm asking... Do you functionally believe it? Are you living as though your body were not your own, that it belongs to Christ and it has been bought with a price, a high price, and so glorify your God in your body? Are you glorifying God in your body? I have plenty, Phil has plenty of functional beliefs, 
that fall short of my official doctrinal beliefs. And you and I would do good to do an assessment on a daily basis to ask the question and to see if we are falling short and not honoring God with our bodies. And if we are not, then we need to fall on our faces and repent and get back at the work that God has for us to do. In what part of your life have you functionally forgotten that you belong to Jesus? Let me ask you that question. When it says that you are not your own, that means you don't have, you don't, you don't have authority anymore. You have to like turn it all over to the Lord. That's what, when, you, when we call him Lord, that's what it means. He's in, he's in charge of our life now. He is in control of our life now and we submit our bodies and our minds and our spirit and our will. We submit it all to him because we do not belong to ourselves anymore. So the question is, does he have all of you? Does he have every part of you? And if right now a, a thing pops into your head that you haven't surrendered to him, what you need to do right now is just humble yourself and confess it to the Lord and say, I'm coming back. I, I, I want to be, I want to live. I want to be a functional believer in this. I want to live the what I believe to be true, that I am not my own, that I belong to you. In this passage in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is specifically addressing sexual immorality and he's addressing it because it was going on within the members of the church. Wow. That's a serious thing. And that's what he's addressing when he's addressing this. And that's why he said in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 6, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Do you not know, verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? What's the answer, friends? Never. It's not no, it's never. You can almost hear Paul shout this. It's not like, no. Shall I then take my members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? Never. It's improper for God's holy people to live in this way. Verse 18, so flee from sexual immorality. Stop it. It has no place in the body of Christ. You are not that way anymore. You have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. And so therefore glorify and honor God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. You are not your own. In fact, when we become Christians, our bodies become members or appendages of Christ's body. And the very spirit of Christ dwells in our bodies. That's why Paul calls us the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? Do you, under, do you, do you understand in your identity we're working on here that you are in Christ, but he is also in you? 
He lives inside of you. The Spirit of God does. Jesus said, when I give you my spirit, he will be in you, and therefore I will be in you. And because I am with the Father, the Father will be in you as well. We possess in the power of the Holy Spirit the Trinity within us. And the practical implication of that is that every sexual immoral behavior or any other immoral behavior outside of the holiness that Christ demands of his people When a Christian does that, we actually drag the Lord Jesus Christ into that engagement, whatever it is. That's why why Paul says, should should we join our Lord with a prostitute? What's the word? Come on, church, what's the word? Never! No! Why? Because you're a new creation. And because you are not your own. So stop living in the self-indulgent life that you try to live in. And I'm talking to myself. We all want to run back to that stuff. But that's not who we are. Let's look at reality number three. And this is where I, I can't wait to get into this. This is so great. This is such great stuff. You have been chosen. You're a new creation in Christ. You are not your own. And you have been chosen. 1 Peter 2.9 is where we're gonna be for this one. 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen to this. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. There's your identity, my friends. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Hear me on this. Out of all the people ever to inhabit this planet, you and I, you and I, believer, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, we have been chosen to represent the king of the universe as his ambassadors in real time, right now, for such a time as this. Does that blow your mind? It blows my mind. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Just go here with me, okay? You could have been born in any century. Any century. God could have have had you as your, because we're all individuals. We're not just by chance, oh, we just happen to be here. No, we are specifically born out of God, he had in his mind his sovereign plan to have you and I be here right now in the 21st century. (laughs) Does that excite you at all? That you have been chosen to live right now at the world at the end? No? Okay, well, I'm gonna work on that excitement. (laughs) Very unique times that we're living in. Very unique times. I I wish I could get inside of your head and get you to realize that you have been chosen for this time. You, not the church. I get it. The, The church has been chosen for this time. You have been chosen for this time. You have been chosen for this time. You have been chosen. Nobody over here has been. Just these people over here. You, every person who calls on the name of the Lord has been chosen to be a royal priesthood. 
a holy nation, God's special possession. That's so amazing. Ephesians tells us that he chose you, he called you out of the world, and set you apart from the world to be holy and blameless. His love, in his love, he adopted you into his family, Ephesians tells us. He redeemed you by the blood of his son and forgave you all of your sins. It says that he lavishes on you his grace, which is his unmerited favor. He lavishes that upon you because you're his child and has made known to you the mystery of his will. He gave you and I a mark, which is the seal of the Holy Spirit to guarantee your deliverance into heaven. And he's done all this, don't miss it, just because he wanted to. For his good pleasure. Anybody wanna shout right now? I mean, just like get up and shout and say, yes! I am a child of God, this is amazing. He chose me, and listen, if you know me, if you knew me and what was really inside of me, you would tell me, I feel get up and shout. Why would he choose you? I don't know. In fact, he didn't choose any of us because we're so special and so talented and so worthy of his choosing. In fact, it's quite the opposite. This choosing carries with it a very solemn and I think a very fearsome responsibility. Especially in the days that we're moving into. The fact that he has chose me and the Lord has chosen you to stand against the evils of this world and the deceptions of this present darkness. We had better be sure to understand what is required of us and who we are in Christ. And we better make sure that we do all that is possible to fulfill our mission, that to which he has called us to. Let's go to reality number four. You've not only been chosen, you've been called and you've been equipped. You all know Romans 8, 28, but I wanna lean into this part of it. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Everybody say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord who have been called according to his purpose. So who are we, we've been called for whose purpose? Are you sure you believe that? I know we doctrinally believe that. Do you functionally believe that you have been called to do the work of your master and savior and Lord? It is his purposes that we have been called. Go back to 1 Peter 2, 9. We've been called out of the darkness, it says, and into his glorious light, and we are now the light of the world. We are to be the salt of the earth. We are to be a city on a hill that shines the glorious light of Christ into the darkness of this world that is an ever-growing darkness of this world. And we know, because we're gonna be studying this in a couple of weeks, we know that the darkness is getting greater and it's going to get darker. And therefore, we are to shine all the more. Some will tell us that church, the church, should just be quiet in times like these and keep our hearts and minds and our convictions to ourselves, that we should not fight against the looming darkness and that to fight, some would say that to fight against it is to, quote, abandon the gospel for pure cultural warring and for politics. 
I would say this is Satan's tool. This is Satan's plan to keep the church quiet. You do know that as long as we're here, we're restraining evil. And the brighter we shine, the more we hold back the darkness. There's coming a time when the Lord raptures the church home and he removes the restrainer because we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. (laughs) And you've been called to do it, not to hold back. Eric Metaxas, sorry, Eric, sorry, Eric. Eric Metaxas in his book, um, Letters to the Church, put it this way. Those who behave as though there is really nothing to worry about, who seem to think that we ought to assiduously avoid fighting these threats and be apolitical, are tragically mistaken, are burying their heads in the sand and exhorting others to do the same. Or to put it another way, and he's referencing, when he talks here, he's referencing the German church during the sins of Nazism. Or to put it another way, they are in their churches singing more and more loudly to drown out the cries of those in the boxcars heading to their gruesome deaths. Sing with us, they say, and don't worry about all those other issues out there. They don't concern us. Our job is to focus on God and to pretend that we can do so without fighting for those he loves whose lives and futures are being destroyed. Let's face it, what God usually asks of his people is that they actually live out their faith in all the spheres of their lives so that all of society is blessed. And when they, do, when they fail to do this, they are failing to be the church. My friends, you and I have been chosen, called, and equipped to live in the world that we're living in right now and you have been called and chosen and equipped to live your life out and live the light out in whatever sphere of influence you have today, wherever that is. Reagan, you're a child of God, aren't you? You are called and you are equipped and you have been chosen to shine the light with your friends at school and your friends in the neighborhood and your friends wherever you are, on the basketball court with your, with your girlfriends when you're playing basketball. God has a special plan for you to use you to shine your light, the, sh- the light of Jesus that you have inside of you. And I'm speaking to this little girl right here, but I'm speaking that to everybody. Amen. No one sits this out. Every... I, I wish, my goal is that every single one of you walk out of here going, no one sits this out. I'm in this. I gotta change the way I'm living. Oh, God, help us with this. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So before the world even began, he knew you were going to be living in the time you're living in today and he has specific plans for you to do what he wants you to do, has equipped you to do and called you to do in the world. Do you see, my friends, that for such a time as this, that you have been uniquely gifted to step into your role that he's prepared us to be in? Everyone plays a part. Sometimes in my zeal, I get to talking and 
when I get into subjects like this, you, you probably notice I'm not getting away from the pulpit very far. Because I need to script what I'm saying, because sometimes I get going, and I got going last week on something. And I made a comment that I think stung some people, a, a group of people. And I never intend to do that. And I was talking about um, the axis of evil, who is Satan himself. And I was talking about all the different things that are coming at us, and one of the things I said is, is that they're coming for your children. And you all were like, yes, yes, they are. And what I think I did in that, I wasn't specifically talking about educators, but I think what I did in that is I offended some educators that we have in, our, in the room here that are in the public school system. But what I want you to hear loud and clear is whenever I said, whenever I said um, they're coming for your children, I'm not talking about each individual teacher and each individual administrator. I'm talking about the satanic attack that is going on. And there is no doubt, my friends, okay, I will not apologize this for saying this. There is no doubt that there are some people in leadership in public education that are wicked people. And they have wicked agendas and they're trying to instill those upon our children. But I want you to hear me, hear me loud and clear. I have so much respect for those of you who are administrators, teachers, counselors, coaches, and parents that are in the public school system. It's getting harder and harder out there. You can't deny that. But what would be a huge mistake, and listen to me, um, the pastor of a church that has a Christian school, you would think I would say, every single family needs to put their kids in Christian school. I don't believe that to be true. I, I, I believe it's harder and harder. I put my kids in Christian, through Christian school. I believe it's harder and harder to be in the, in the public school system. But if we take all the Christians out of the public school system, what are we going to have? What are those children going to have? Pure evil. Okay, there I go again. It doesn't mean that every teacher or every coach or every is pure evil, but what I'm saying is, you're removing, you're restraining, you're, you're the restraining force that is in the schools, you're removing that if all the Christians walk away. And I just want you to hear that I am so proud of those of you who were sticking with it and staying in the, in the Christian school system or in the public school system. Working hard at bringing the love of Christ in whatever way they're allowing you to do that, and I know it's hard, bringing it to, to bear, but we just want you to hear from today's message. You've been chosen for that. You've been equipped to do that. You've been called to do that. It's a calling that you have. A lot of Christian, Christian school teachers, like I'm, I'm there because I'm called to teach children a biblical worldview. I believe that to be true. But that same calling is on every single one of us in whatever area we're working in the world. You get that. 89-year-old grandmas and grandpas in the room. Are you guys done or you got stuff to go to, to, to do? Where are you? Do you still have some stuff to do, Dick? Yes, you do. See, some people get to the end of their lives and they're like, I'm sitting in my chair and I can't go anywhere. I can't even get up off the couch. I'm, I'm useless. I have no more calling. I have no more, no more work to do for the Lord. Is that true or not? It's not true at all. Do you have a voice? Do you have a mind? Can you still write? Yeah, listen, my goal here today 
is to remind some 89-year-old grandmas and grandpas that you are mighty kingdom warriors and you still have work to do. In fact, here's your war cry, your battle cry right now. If I'm not dead, God's not done. Greater things are still to come. That's what I believe. And that's what the Bible is teaching here. Every single one of us, from the very youngest child of God to the very oldest child of God. You have a calling on your life. Yeah, there's a plan for you. There is something, a role for you to play in the world of the end. Every single time believers have been backed into a corner, every single time the enemy has made a run on the church where persecution abounded and the martyr count was soaring, every single time evil has seemingly prevailed against the church. Every single time when God's people thought it could never get any worse. Anybody thought that lately? Every single time there was a temptation to despair when these things are happening and coming against us and to become despondent. There's a temptation to cut and run and to give in and to give up. That is not what God has called you to do. And every time these things have happened, there's always a remnant of God's people. Instead of running from the evil, they actually lean into it and they push back in order to conquer it. Revelation 12 describes them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They were people of faith who will not love their lives so as to shy away from death. That reality ought to instill in us a hopefulness about the future and that God has called us, every single one of us. Here's what I know. When the heat gets turned up and the flames get turned up and it gets really hot out there to try to maintain your Christian testimony and to stand up and be a Christian, only the true Christians will stand up. Those who claim to be part of Christ but aren't truly part of Christ, who just kind of do the religious thing, they will all cut and run because you will not die for that which you don't 100% believe in. And the fact that there has always been a remnant of God's people who stand up and, and, and walk into the flames should give you hope about your future. And it is our call to stand and fight for the righteousness and for truth. We're not called to just endure and persevere through these last days that we're living in. We are called to thrive, fully alive, pressing into the conflict, braving the storms and the trouble with confidence that as we fight and as we climb the mountains and as we face the giants in the land, that we, the church of Jesus Christ, will stand victorious forever. So in a world of questions and conflict, now is not the time, child of God, for cowering or for complaining for grousing about everything that's going on, now is our time to be the church, to be what he's truly called us to be, actually to be the answer. That's the title of our next series that we're gonna be jumping into in two weeks after Mother's Day, is Be the Answer 
which we're going to be jumping into Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be analyzing all the things that Jesus prophesied would be happening in the days that we're living today. And then we're going to teach uh, ourselves from the word of God how we are to be the answer and to step into our roles as we walk through these last days. Many of you um, ordered the books last week. We ran out. I told the congregation, the first service was really selfish. They didn't leave any for you. They bought everything. But I heard there was like a massive line all the way to the coffee. But, um, so those of you who pre-ordered um, the books, they're, in, they're at the connection point. You can go pick them up. And then we have extras, okay? So if you wanted the books, um, Letter to the American Church and World at the End by David Jeremiah, um, you can go ahead back to the connection point and pick those up. All right, I want to invite all of you, um, you the League of Extraordinary Believers to stand with me and let's pray as we leave today. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this congregation and, and your body, your great body all over the world. And um, Lord, we are very weak individuals and we are broken and we're very fickle people and we know that. And so we plead with you for the work and power of your Holy Spirit to move strongly in us. I pray for those in our room here that are struggling with their identity in Christ. They know that they're a believer, but they just are wrestling with, you know, what is my role? What is my place? What am I supposed to do? I pray that by your spirit, you will show them. Help them, Lord Jesus, to do what you said, and that's seek first your kingdom and righteousness and then let you take care of all the other things. We know that your will for us, every one of us, is our sanctification, to be able to be growing in Christ through the word. And so I pray for strength for all of us to be able to walk out our faith and to walk out our relationship, but that we'll walk out of here confident in who we are. We're children of the most high God adopted into your family because you loved us and because you wanted to. It's for your good pleasure that you did so. And so be with us as we leave, inspire our hearts, and use us powerfully as we shine our lights. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen, amen. amen. God bless you.